Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Tuesday, June the 11th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, reactions to the interesting nuggets from Joe Shad on yesterday's show. Are we too critical of things we know little about? Plus, Brian Flores' vision for this team is absolutely perfect, and the statistical data proves it. And I'll begin my preview of the rest of the NFL, starting with the NFC West today. All of that and much more. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from or the new Himalaya podcast app. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at NFL. The number one follow on Dolphins Twitter as voted by Dolphins Twitter. And you can find the show at LockedOnFins. And of course, LockedOnDolphins.com. This piece on Brian Flores is live on LOD.com right now. It is the number one blog in the entire Locked On Network. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. First down today's Locked On Dolphins podcast is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own trip with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. So I'm not one to really go back and listen to episodes of my podcast, but every once in a while I will, and I only do it when I have guests. And I did it with the Joe Shad podcast because I wanted to kind of give more input based upon his answers. That episode, I wanted to get as many opinions from Joe as I possibly could in a half hour span, and he did not disappoint at all. I thought he was fantastic and gave us as much information as he could in that period, but I found some of the things he said very interesting regarding the coaching staff, Devontae Parker, and plenty of other stuff, but I want to start there at the top with the coaching staff and how he mentioned that Adam Gaze ran this loose ship, this club med type of program that really didn't have these structures in place for discipline or accountability and how funny is it that that was what we saw in practice every day and then we go down to the stretch of the final three games last year when Miami basically fell into the fetal position and gave up its playoff hopes after the most exciting win in franchise history in the Miami Miracle it's so evident and such a microcosm of what this team was under Adam Gase the way they folded down the stretch each of the last two years but also the way Adam Gaze refused to take any accountability for those issues. We all know about how he deflected the blame on the Vikings firing their head coach or the Bengals being a hot team at that particular point in the season. He had an excuse for everything and never once did he turn the finger around and say that was my fault. And you go back to that Miami Miracle game and it's funny because Brian Flores, who was responsible for putting Rob Gronkowski on the field, probably one of the biggest regrets of his entire career, he went up in front of the entire team in the locker room that day and took responsibility for the loss. So Joe Shad said it himself, a complete 180 from the previous regime who loved his player coach's style to begin with. But then once Miami started to lose games under Adam Gase, it became super annoying. And that lack of accountability 
permeated throughout the locker room and became cancerous in nature. The number two thing I thought was interesting was how he said that if you gave the players truth serum, the truth is they want Rashad Jones out there, but also that he's clearly not part of the long-term plan. And I don't think that's breaking any news. It's pretty clear that a 30-year-old safety with a massive contract and chronic shoulder issues is not going to be part of this long-term rebuild. But the fact that that animosity exists, and it's so obvious that Rashad Jones and the Dolphins are far apart on where they are at this point of their career and this point of the franchise, it's interesting to me that he is still on the roster. And I think there could be a little bit of smoke where there is fire before the season starts about a possible trade. Maybe it takes somebody getting injured or whatever the like, but I think Rashad Jones' existence on this roster may not be for that long. And speaking of that defense and that scheme, Joe said that Brian Flores thinks that he can overcome a lack of talent with his pass rushers via the scheme and create that pass rush. And how long have we heard that from this podcast? Not to pat our own backs, but we'll go ahead and give it a solid pat because we've been talking about that time and time again, how the Patriots pass rush gets through through stunts and games and delayed blitzes and clever schematics and creating confusion for the offensive line with their protection scheme. That's all a product of the coaching, and Brian Flores has been under Bill Belichick for a long time. He called the defense last year, earned that very honorable distinction, and we know that Belichick's not going to let just anybody call his defense because right now, now that Flores is gone and Patricia gone the year prior, Belichick's back to being the defensive coordinator, so he doesn't have anybody underneath Flores that he can trust. So it's very interesting to see if Brian Flores can get a pass rush out of this group because we all know it. This group does lack a lot of talent and a for sure number one bona fide pass rusher that can win those one-on-one matchups. Of course, the most interesting nugget from the entire thing was how he mentioned that Josh Rosen just isn't as likable as Ryan Fitzpatrick mentioning the other journalists that hadn't been there before asking why Josh Rosen is that guy or what's the deal with this guy rather. And I don't think there's a lot to take away from that. Other than that, maybe Josh Rosen's initial impression on people just rubs folks the wrong way. And I think a lot of people can be that way. And of course, there's a stark juxtaposition between he and Ryan Fitzpatrick, who we always knew was going to be one of the most likable guys on the team the minute they signed him. You go back to Hard Knocks, it's hard to not love that guy when it was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers a couple years ago. He's just so damn likable. So comparing him to Rosen in that regard, I think is kind of unfair. And then the Devontae Parker nugget, where he said that Devontae wants to change the way he's perceived in Miami, wants to change his legacy in Miami. And that to me is so great to hear because I have bagged on Devontae Parker as hard as anybody out there in the Dolphins universe covering this team, fans or otherwise. And he's deserved some of that criticism because he was a first round draft pick. And that's what comes with the territory. If you don't live up to your billing, you're going to get criticized. But of course, I've been more vocal about the injuries or maybe the lack of want to for him. But if he can prove that he can stay healthy and just put out a full 100% effort for an entire season, I think that'd be a great step forward. And he could possibly be a contributing factor on this team going forward if he can accept that role. And who knows, maybe he develops that, the talent comes along with it, and we get a late bloomer in Devontae Parker. That would be fantastic for this receiving core. And the last note, he mentioned Nate Orchard, who looks quick and agile off the line of scrimmage. We saw him in hard knocks as well. Last season with the Cleveland Browns, he performed well in that preseason, wound up getting cut, played a few games here and there with the 
the Bills, as well as the Chiefs, but it didn't work out for him in either spot. So he comes here now and gets a big-time opportunity. It's going to be up to guys like him and Charles Harris and Tank Carradine to find a pass rush off that edge and really develop themselves into a role as an outside linebacker slash defensive end who can play five-tech, seven-tech, and off-ball line or on-ball linebacker, rather, in this defense. So lots of good stuff. If you haven't heard the episode, go back to yesterday, June the 10th on Monday, the Joe Shad edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. And next here on the podcast, we're going to come back and talk about my piece on LockedOnDolphins.com. I'm very proud of it. I think there's a lot of good telling information in there. We're going to cover that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Locked On Fins. Now, I don't know if it's common for fans to go over all of the media availability during the offseason or even in the season for that matter. But the one nice thing about doing that over and over again, as we have that here for you on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and one of the things you do when you cover the team is cover every single press conference. And because of that, you can pick up some of the idiosyncrasies from a player or from the coach who speaks pretty much every single time the team is doing anything. And Coach Flores certainly has his idiosyncrasies. And that was the foundation of this piece up on LockedOnDolphins.com. It's titled Flores's Vision for a Tough Physical Team Backed by Statistical Merit. Well, that was the, the foundation of this piece and as well as a couple other categories, which were they want to be a tough physical discipline team. You can put that on loop for Brian Flores over the course of the offseason, but also their home record since they renovated Hard Rock Stadium and put that canopy up. And lastly, Flores' vision and how it jives perfectly with what the Dolphins need. And so you go to LockedOnDolphins.com and it starts with a quote that Brian Flores, you basically could find whether it was February, March at the Combine, April at the Draft, or June in OTAs. You can essentially find Coach Flores in some way, somewhere, saying that he wants to have a tough physical team. We go back to the Chandler Cox article when he said that not many teams know how to defend a two-back running game and that himself, as a linebacker in college, hated dealing with that, and that's what he wants to inflict on opposing defenses. And we go forward to a piece from Andy Cohen up on MiamiDolphins.com, one of the longtime great columnists for this football team, where he took a quote from Jakeem Grant and this quote is not exclusive to Jakeem Grant either. I've heard Devon Godshaw say the same thing as well. But he says, quote, they want us to be the most well-conditioned team in the league. And that comes from Jakeem Grant, who is now all of a sudden one of Miami's longest tenured players in this rebuild process. And Cohen notes that players don't jog from drill to drill. They flat out sprint. And that's a mentality that Brian Flores is trying to establish in Miami and there's a perfectly good reason and a perfectly great method to the madness for why Flores is doing this as you go back to the half billion dollar renovation that Steven Ross put into Hard Rock Stadium. And it came out ahead of the 2016 season with this new canopy that we all know the drill. It puts the sunlight directly on the opposing bench and keeps the home bench, the Miami Dolphins bench, in complete shade throughout the course of the entire afternoon and the sun never relents on that visitor's bench. I was there for a pair of games in December and it never once came off that visitor's bench, the Patriots and Bills games. And in that Bills game, I walked maybe a quarter mile from the media parking to the media gate 
and I was wearing slacks and a dress shirt and I was pouring sweat in December in a dress shirt. So I can't imagine what it's like for the other team in full football garb running around in that sun, what it's like for those guys. And the on-field product has vindicated that decision only three years into it. And here's why. During Adam Gaze's three years in Miami with the roof or the canopy on the stadium, the Dolphins were 16-7 and at Hard Rock Stadium, a near 700 winning percentage, 696. And that compares to a total record, which does encompass the home record as well, of 23 wins and 25 losses, a winning percentage of 479, a difference in winning percentage of 217 compared to home games and the entirety of the schedule, road games, games in London or overseas, whatever, and also the home games. The previous three years prior to that, before the canopy with Joe Philbin, the splits were far less dramatic as the Dolphins between 2013 and 2015 were 11-2 and at Sun Life Stadium or Landshark Stadium, whatever the hell they called it every single different year when they changed names. 11-2 and with a 478 winning percentage compared to 22 wins and 26 losses in total, a 458 winning percentage, a difference of just 0.02 winning percentage at home compared to the rest of the schedule. So the Dolphins for six years have basically been the same team. They've been a near 500 team, but the one exception to that was Adam Gaze at home under the canopy, and he wasn't even trying to build a football team that could really capitalize on what the advantages were in the home ballpark as a lot of teams in baseball will do with pitching and defense if they have a bigger park or at least they used to before this launch angle and getting lift on the baseball era that we live in nowadays but previously my Seattle Mariners for instance would always build these pitching and defensive sound teams because Safeco Field was a monstrous park that did not yield big offensive numbers. And that's where Coach Flores is doubling down in the way he builds this football team or builds the program that this football team put together by Chris Greer will adhere to. Finding ways to match your personnel to the attributes of your home stadium or your home field advantage with the heat, this off-season conditioning program, trying to get these guys ready to play that type of football game, but also to establish the type of game the Dolphins will play come Sunday, where they're going to shorten the contest, wear the opposition down, and try to steal victories in the second half on a beaten-up defense and offense, for that matter, in the second half of football games. But in order for the Dolphins to execute that recipe, we get to part two of this argument. They're going to have to be very disciplined. And again, you go back to any Brian Flores press conference, you're going to hear smart, tough, disciplined, doing things the right way. That's not who the Dolphins were under Adam Gaze. As Joe Shad mentioned, they were the ninth, second, and third most penalized team as far as yardage goes, total yards. In 2016, they were ninth. In 2017, they were second. In 2018, the third most yardage by penalties across the entire National Football League. And nothing is going to kill a small ball style of team more so or more quickly than getting consistent penalties and getting yourself put behind the chain. Those things take no talent, so to speak, as Brian Flores has mentioned, as he redecorates the entirety of the Dolphins practice facility with the TNT wall that we have covered, which stands for takes no talent, or the banner on the other end of the practice field that says four to one, physical to mental, talking about 80% mental, 20% physical in terms of this game. He is leaving his fingerprints all over this team as he talks time and time again about discipline, 
being smart, physical, and tough. And those are all coming together in this one singular compartmentalized vision for, for Brian Flores to run the football, take advantage of the home field advantage they have, and find a way to get themselves back into the winner's circle and restore the glory of this franchise that it was built through the running game back in the 70s. Now, I know the game has changed, but again, this is a Patriots type of model where the game swings towards the spread it out passing attack. So let's go ahead and take the pendulum back the other way and let's be great in the ground game and inflict our will on teams. And one of the problems you might come across with this approach is, Travis, they don't get a play in Miami in January unless they win the division and win the conference. And even then, the weather is not so bad in January compared to what it is in September. Well, the good news is this style of football is portable into the playoffs and up to the Northeast in inclement weather. You go back to last season, for instance, 10 out of the 12 playoff teams finished in the top half of the league, top 16 in rushing the football. Both Super Bowl teams, the Rams and Patriots, were top five, and three of the four championship round teams were in the top seven running the football. You go back to 2017, nine of the top 10 rushing teams in the NFL made the postseason, and the final four teams, the championship weekend participants, the Patriots, the Jaguars, the Vikings, and the Eagles that year, they ranked first, third, seventh, and tenth in rushing in the NFL in 2017. So Adam Gaze had this type of team he wanted to create. He just had no idea how to execute the plan or if it was even an applicable approach to the organization itself, where on the other hand, Brian Flores is focused on establishing this identity, an identity backed by proven success of this storied franchise that can establish its physical prowess, lean on the opposition, and create a product that is both viable in South Florida in the heat, but also on blustery winter days in the Northeast. And perhaps best of all, this idea is not an exclusive Brian Flores production. He said, quote, our vision and our core philosophy of how to build a team, they were aligned. That was one of the things that sold me. I told every team that I interviewed with this, if our beliefs aren't aligned, then don't hire me because if they aren't aligned, it's not going to work, end quote. And that was regarding his relationship with Chris Greer and trying to find the right fit for him going forward to build a sustained winner the way Stephen Ross wants. I think they have the right idea. They have the right vision for how to execute that idea. Now it just comes down to filling out the roster and getting that idea implemented into the minds of each of his football players and garnering the respect of the roster and the players on that roster to buy into that vision and really become all in on Flores and what he's selling. If he can do it, we're going to have good results. If not, we won't. But at least there is a very, very clear defined vision for this football team from Chris Greer at the top all the way down to the roster. I'm excited to see where it goes. It might not happen right away. It might take a year to install, but luckily we do have some time. Okay, we're going to come back and shift gears and talk about a different division in the NFL. Real quick before we do that, I want to tell you guys about Untuck It and thank Untuck It for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. If you guys are looking for a great Father's Day gift idea, check out untuckit.com. Their shirts are specifically designed to look great, untucked, and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend with no tucking or tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com, use promo code MBA to get 20% off your order. Untuckit.com, promo code MBA, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Now, 
Now I know this is the Locked On Dolphins podcast, and I'm more than open to suggestions to new segment ideas, but I've gone over this roster, this staff, and this team so in-depth that without the introduction of new news, there really isn't a whole lot I can do. I will continue to do so with articles exploring the ins and the outs of this team, and we'll talk about it on the podcast, of course, but I think we could stand to reintroduce our segment from earlier this calendar year when I look at the rest of the league, and we'll begin today by taking a look at the NFC West. We're going to work through the NFC this week and cross over to the AFC next week and finish it up with an AFC East preview. Let's go ahead and start here with the Rams, Niners, Cardinals, and Seahawks. And we start out here in the Pacific Northwest with the Seattle Seahawks. And last year, they finished 10-6 and in what was supposed to be a rebuild year, but they still managed to make the postseason on the back of their elite quarterback, who was just rewarded with the richest contract in football. Russell Wilson is elite on every level, which is why their philosophy is so strange. In fact, that philosophy might be something we see from the Dolphins this year, and for the same reason, a lack of true talent on the offensive line. They ran the ball over and over and over in hopes to protect Russell Wilson, and it did work for the most part, and Russ is so good that they were able to keep games close and just turn things over to him in the fourth quarter and let him go in the football game, which he usually does, as I was there in person to watch him do it to our Miami Dolphins opening day 2016. Adding DK Metcalf changes the dynamic of their wide receiver core. We'll see if he develops his game because I think he's still incredibly raw, but he's a different body than what they're used to having there as Doug Baldwin is now gone, as is the entirety of the Legion of Boom now gone, but they have done well to develop beyond them with Shaq Griffin, for instance, who's a nice corner. Trey Flowers had a very solid rookie season last year. I thought they should have addressed the safety position a little bit better in the draft this year. We're going to find out more about second round safety Marquise Blair here real quick. If he starts, I also think there's a chance the Oregon safety could start for them. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Bobby Wagner is far and away the best off-ball linebacker in football, and K.J. Wright can still play some ball, man. The defensive line is underrated, but they'll have to find more rush now that Frank Clark has gone. He was tremendous and underrated at that. I'm excited to see the defensive growth and expanded roles for guys like Tyler Lockett and Chris Carson, maybe even Rashad Penny. I think they're definitely a playoff caliber team who could even win the division. Pete Carroll's program should be what we strive for to be in Miami. It's just impressive year in and year out. Now, the division champs, the Los Angeles Rams, it's hard to look at this Rams team through any lens other than the one that paints them as an elite team across the entire board. I think the Super Bowl that Jared Goff had is a little bit more who he is than the one that played really well the first half of the season. Two driving forces of that offense are Todd Gurley and Sean McVay, and the absence of the former exposed the latter and the rest of the offense down the stretch. But I do think that McVay will rebound But Will Gurley? I'm not so sure. Losing Cooper Cup was huge last year, and getting him back brings this wide receiver core back towards the top of the NFL. They lost a lot this offseason with Ndamukong Sue, LaMarcus Joyner, and Roger Saffold, but I do think that McVay has established a program that can withstand some of those losses, and they've been flexible in the front office, and they were always going to take a bit of a step back as far as the roster after that mega spending spree last offseason and all those one-year deals, but still... 
They're loaded pretty much at every unit, especially in that defensive backfield with Tlaib, Peters, Roby Coleman, John Johnson, and now Eric Weddle on the back end. To top that off with adding Taylor Rapp and David Long, that is a ridiculous secondary. They added Clay Matthews to a good linebacking core with Dante Fowler and Sam Ibukam off the edges, as well as Corey Littleton on the middle on the inside. And then, of course, there's Aaron Donald, who's probably the best player in the entire league. But that defensive front has been tethered a little bit, and it might allow teams to take more attention on Aaron Donald, even though he can still beat double and triple teams all the time. It'll be interesting to see how they deal with the hangover aspect coming off the Super Bowl loss last season. Now, the Arizona Cardinals, and you guys all know this is my guilty pleasure in the NFL, Kyler Murray paired with the ultimate air raid coach. Cliff Kingsbury needs to learn very quickly that he's not there just to make magic with Kyler Murray. He needs to establish a strong program, and that's not going to be easy to do. I liked their Jordan Hicks signing, but the rest of free agency was pretty weird to me. J.R. Sweezy, 29 years old. Charles Clay, 30. Robert Alford, 30. Brooks Reed, 31. Terrell Suggs, 36. I mean, what are we doing here for a team that's rebuilding under uh, Kingsbury and Kyler Murray? I watched a lot of their tape last year because of the Josh Rosen project, and something flat out happened to David Johnson. Lazy fans that want to just point to shortcuts will say it was all the offensive line, but I can definitively tell you that DJ was not the same player, not even close. He lacked burst, dropped all kinds of balls in the passing game. He was just not the same versatile beast that he was previously before the wrist injury in 2017. The line is shambles, utter, utter shambles across that offensive line. Luckily, they have the best quarterback in the league at mitigating that pressure, and Murray is going to win games for them right out of the gate. He's one of the most special players to enter the league in the last decade, in my opinion, and that will have a big impact in its own right. And I absolutely love adding Hakeem Butler in the fourth round, just crazy value there, but also getting Lamont Gilliard in the sixth round, the center from Georgia. It's going to be a big year for Hassan Reddick, the linebacker. He has not lived up to his top 15 draft status, a guy Dolphins fans were hoping to get a crack at a couple years ago, but he went before the Dolphins could draft him. Patrick Peterson, he's down four games with a suspension, but safety from Washington, Buda Baker, has been taking the reins on that secondary slowly, but surely he is a budding superstar. It should be interesting to see what happens with Vance Joseph pulling the strings and if he'll conform to his personnel or force that dreadful wide nine on the roster. They're not going to be a playoff team, but they're probably one of the most exciting teams in the NFL because Kyler Murray alone is worth another three to four wins on his own merit just by himself. The 49ers, the last team we got to get to here, has anyone had worse luck than San Francisco recently? I mean, injuries and strange outcomes to close out football games. Kyle Shanahan continues to work magic with an unknown quarterback and a depleted offensive roster. He's such a genius of deception and play action and setting the defense up for concepts they're not expecting. I also think they really added to that arsenal. And if Garoppolo can finally stay healthy, they could make some noise this year. Marquise Goodwin's a good player, but he needed some help. I think Debo Samuel can make an impact as a rookie, and Dante Pettis can be as dynamic as they come. He's a great route runner with a great release and fantastic speed. I love their backfield with Tevin Coleman getting Jarek McKinnon back, and of course the fullback, Kyle Juszczyk. It should be interesting to see what happens up front with all those bodies on defense. Nick Bosa is already hurt again, but... 
DeForest Buckner is a full-blown superstar at the position. Eric Armstead is a good player, and they're going to have to figure out a role for Solomon Thomas. At linebacker, Quan Alexander was a huge get, and Frank Warner was one of the potential defensive rookies of the year early in 2018 before he got hurt. This is one of the most intriguing divisions in the entire league to me. I'm not going to make predictions yet. We'll do that closer as training camp gets here, but I will list off a few bests, as it were. The best team to me is the Los Angeles Rams, defending champs in the Super Bowl. The best player, easily Aaron Donald. Best offensive player, easily Russell Wilson. Best defensive player, of course, is Aaron Donald. On offense, the best rookie, pretty easily Kyler Murray. And the best defensive rookie is the first place you might get some discrepancy. And I so badly want to say anybody but Nick Bosa because of his injuries, but this division didn't put a lot of resources into the young defense. My wild card pick is the Oregon safety up in Seattle now, Ugo Imadi. He was a fourth round draft pick of the Seahawks, and I love him in that scheme, but we'll see what happens. I think it has to be Nick Bosa because the lack of talent at that on the defense in general in this division. The best coach is Sean McVay, but Pete Carroll and Mike Shanahan, or Kyle Shanahan rather, are awesome as well. The best rivalry, it's hard to say anything other than the best two teams right now, which is clearly Seattle and Los Angeles, but those Seahawks-Niners games from the Kaepernick era was the best game on the schedule the entire season back when it was happening, so that rivalry to me still exists out here in the Pacific Northwest, so Niners and Seahawks. As for today's show, that's going to do it for our NFC West preview. We're going to come back with another special guest on tomorrow's podcast. The mom of a current Dolphins player is going to join me. We'll preview the NFC South and get you caught up on all the latest But as for now, that's going to be my time on this show. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter, at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.